DTR. Teens and younger adults who text constantly are more apt to understand the meaning of these letters. How many of you know what the letters DTR stands for? For a young man in a relationship, these letters strike fear in his heart. He dreads the DTR talk. It makes single men so uncomfortable they will only use the initials DTR. The objective is not to say the three words DTR stands for out loud, to postpone, run away, or put off the DTR talk for as long as possible. In fact, many men are so afraid of the DTR, they will terminate the relationship when they sense that the DTR talk is imminent. Now, do you want to guess what DTR means? DTR stands for Define the Relationship. Define the Relationship. This is an official talk that takes place at some point in a romantic relationship to determine the level of commitment. You define the relationship and decide where things stand. Is it casual or is it committed? There's a point in the relationship between a guy and a gal when it's important to define the relationship but see if things have moved past infatuation and admiration toward a deeper devotion and commitment. And how you feel about the DTR talk is determined by how committed you are to the relationship. If the relationship is one of convenience that you just want to remain casual, I'll get together with you whenever it's convenient for me then you may feel uncomfortable when confronted with the DTR talk. You'll feel anxious. Your mind will be filled with excuses. You may even have a fight or flight response. Now, some of you may have had some of those same feelings over the past few Sundays because, in essence, we have been having the DTR talk. We have been defining the relationship between you and Jesus. What exactly is your commitment level? Is it casual or is it committed? Or in the words of Kyle Eidelman, are you a fan or a follower? We are in a series of lessons entitled The Call to Discipleship. Six times throughout his teaching ministry, Jesus made a statement something like this, If you want to be my disciple, then... And he tells us something we must do or must not do. Something is expected of us as Christ followers. If, then. Jesus' call to discipleship requires some things of us. Now four Sundays ago we took a closer look at the first of these discipleship requirements. The abiding principle from John 8 verses 31 and 32. Three Sundays ago, we zeroed in on the second of these discipleship requirements, the producing principle from John 15, verses 1 through 17. Two Sundays ago, we focused on the third of these discipleship requirements, the loving principle from John 13, verses 34 and 35. Last Sunday, we discussed the fourth discipleship requirement, the worshiping principle from Luke 14, 25 and 26. And this morning we come to the fifth discipleship requirement, the dying principle from Luke 9, 23 through 25. As we continue the DTR talk, the call to discipleship, the sixth test that defines whether we are authentic, genuine Christ followers, it's the dying principle here in Luke 9. Let's begin today's lesson by looking at the Scripture together. 
Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. Luke chapter 9, we pick it up with verse 23. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Now the key verse here is obviously verse 23. Let's read it out loud together. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's take a look at how some other versions translate Jesus' words here in Luke 9.23. The contemporary English version. If any of you want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross each day and follow me. God's word. Those who want to come with me must say no to the things they want, pick up their crosses every day, and follow me. J.B. Phillips, If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, carry his cross every day, and keep close behind me. The Living Bible, Anyone who wants to follow me must put aside his own desires and conveniences, and carry his cross with him every day, and keep close to me. Now if all this sounds vaguely familiar, it's because Jesus said something very similar in the verse immediately following last Sunday's text. After telling us in Luke 14.26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus continues in Luke 14.27, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now often what is recorded in one gospel, in this case Luke, is also recorded in the other gospels as well with a little different wording perhaps, such as the case with Luke 9, 23-25. For instance, Matthew 10, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, verses 34 through 37. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So what is Jesus' point here? Well, as we continue our DTR talk to finding the relationship we have with Jesus, let's just work our way through today's text, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, beginning, of course, with verse 23. And the text begins, Then He, Jesus, said to them all. Now, the them all here would be His disciples, 
according to the immediate context. In fact, if we go back a few verses to Luke 9, verses 18 through 22, we discover that Jesus had just asked his disciples, Who do the crowds say that I am? And after giving several of the crowd's responses, Jesus then asked, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, of course, gave his famous reply, The Christ, or Messiah, of God. Or as Matthew 16, 16 records it, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then after predicting His upcoming crucifixion, we get to verse 23. Then He said to them all. And I would take this to mean that the verses 23 through 25 are directed toward His disciples first and foremost. The apostles, in a broader sense, all those who were serious about following Him back then. And of course, in the broadest sense, for you and for me. Today. Verse 23 continues with Jesus' words, If anyone would come after me. Boy, don't overlook that word, anyone. By the way, I looked up this word in the Greek, and anyone means anyone. (laughs) I believe it's important for us to understand that Jesus' call to discipleship, this DTR talk, is for anyone. Perhaps you may be thinking, all this discipleship stuff isn't for me. I can't possibly live up to Jesus' calling. The abiding principle, the producing principle, the loving principle, the worshiping principle, the dying principle. These principles are just way too much for an ordinary person like me. Surely Jesus must have intended them for the apostles or for pastors or evangelists or missionaries, but not for me. Don't think that, no. Jesus' invitation here, His call to discipleship, is for Anyone. Now this phrase, come after, comes from two Greek words. The first is a verb that means to come or to follow. And the second means after or behind. When you put the two together, we have the phrase to come after or to follow behind. And who are we to come after or follow behind? Jesus says, me. If anyone would come after me, It's the picture that Peter painted in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Or the verse we read together last Sunday from 1 John 2 and verse 6, whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. We are then to come after, we're to follow behind Jesus, to keep close to Him, to walk in His footsteps. Jesus continues in Luke 9 and verse 23, He must deny Himself. The word deny can also be translated disown. It is used to describe refusing to associate with someone, in this case, self. We need to deny or disown self, refuse to associate with self. Now that's pretty extreme. It is saying, I can no longer stand to be associated with myself. I've had it with me. I'm sick of myself. I don't want anything more to do with myself. We'll come back to that in a moment. But for right now, let's continue to work our way through today's text. Jesus continues in Luke 9 and verse 23, and take up His cross. I'm afraid that we've misinterpreted and misapplied Jesus' statement here for way too many years in the church. I grew up in the church hearing sermons about what bearing my cross means. Basically, we've been taught that 
Jesus was talking here about some kind of burden we have to bear in life, as though bearing my cross is some inconvenience, some sickness, some misfortune, some difficult person in our lives, or some other thorn in the flesh that we have to endure. And nothing could be further from the truth of Jesus' words here. When Jesus says, take up His cross, there was only one intended meaning. In the context of this statement here in Luke 9, Jesus and His audience knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Death. The word cross is synonymous with crucifixion. Crucifixion was considered the most painful, gruesome, and shameful way to die. Good Romans... Uh, Citizens were not even supposed to talk about it. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus called it the most wretched of deaths. Those in Jesus' immediate audience had witnessed literally thousands of their countrymen die on hillsides. So when Jesus said cross, there was no doubt in their minds as to what Jesus meant. Now the Romans' purpose behind crucifixion was simple. To provide the most painful, gruesome, and publicly shameful death imaginable. The condemned person would be forced to carry the horizontal portion of the cross, weighing about 110 pounds, through the streets in a procession to the place of execution. A small sign stating the victim's crime was usually placed on a staff and carried at the front of the procession. It was later nailed to the cross so that it extended above the head. As the condemned would walk the streets, people would scream insults, spit on him, and even throw things at him. When the condemned arrived at the place of the crucifixion, he was nailed to the crossbeam. Historical Roman accounts tell us that rough seven to eight inch nails were driven between the small bones of the wrist. The soldier would then take the left foot and press it backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, one nail would be driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The cross would then be raised, dropping into a hole in the ground. Thud! and the condemned would be crucified. As he would sag down with more weight on the nails in his wrist, excruciating pain would shoot along the fingers through the median nerve, up the arms, all the way to the brain. And then as he pushed himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, his full weight would shift to the nail through his feet. Eventually, his arms and his legs would become exhausted with fatigue, and his muscles so cramped that he could no longer push himself upward. And as he hung in this cramped and painful position, air could be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. The victim would fight with all of his remaining strength to lift himself, gasping for just one more breath of oxygen. Eventually, though, carbon dioxide would build up in the lungs and bloodstream, and the victim would die from asphyxiation. The condemned man would literally suffocate on the cross. Folks, This is the picture the people in Jesus' immediate audience saw when He said in Luke 9.23, and take up His cross. Horrible suffering, pain, death. Jesus concludes, Luke 9.23, and follow Me. Eighteen times in the Gospel, Jesus challenged people with this command, follow Me. And He says the same to us today, doesn't He? Follow Me. Follow Me. It's the same word, come after me, that we read earlier. Follow me. If we're a genuine, authentic disciple, we will come after or follow behind Jesus. We'll get in step with Him. We will follow in His footsteps. We will walk as Jesus walked. That brings us to verses 24 and 25. 
As we consider them together, let's read them out loud together. Read them with me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? I'm not going to comment much on these two verses except to point out the paradox here. Do you see it? If you want to save your life, you're going to have to lose it. If you want to lose your life, then just hold on to it. Just save it. I think Jesus is just summing up everything He said in verse 23 here in verses 24 and 25. We have a choice. If you want real life, abundant and eternal life, then you must lose yourself. You deny yourself. You die to yourself. But if you want to continue as is, then just save yourself. Keep living for self. Me, my, mine. Just realize that in doing so, you will lose real life. But the choice is yours. As you're having this DTR talk with Jesus, don't miss out on what is really at stake here. Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Now the word self here is the word soul. Your eternal being, the real you that lives on. Jesus is asking us to make a value judgment. Is our soul, is our eternity worth losing for the sake of gaining the whole world if that was even possible? If we could gain everything this world has to hold for us, would it be worth that price? Jesus put it this way, John 12, verse 25, If you love your life down here, you'll lose it. If you despise your life down here, you will exchange it for eternal glory. Well, that's a look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from our study together today? Once again, I feel like we're barely even scratching the surface of what Jesus taught us here in Luke 9, 23-25, but... As I was praying and studying and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what take-home lessons we should glean from these verses, He very clearly impressed upon me three key words for our application today. Let me give them to you. Number one is the word self-denial. Self-denial. Once again, Jesus says in verse 23, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Self-denial. Folks, this is not difficult to understand. As we already pointed out, to deny self means to disown self, to refuse self. It's saying, I can no longer stand to be associated with myself. I've had it with me. I'm sick of myself. I don't want anything more to do with myself. Again, that's not difficult to understand. But, it is difficult to apply. Yes? Self-denial goes back and touches on last week's text in Luke 14.26 when Jesus tells us that a disciple must hate his or her father, mother, spouse, children, siblings, yes, even his own life, or he or she cannot be my disciple. Self-denial is self-hate. I didn't make that term up, by the way. Did you know that the term self-hate is the term that Martin Luther used when he posted his 95 Theses to begin the Protestant Reformation? He was a Roman Catholic priest who came to understand the truth of salvation by grace through faith alone and Christ alone, apart from religion, rites, and rituals. And so he determined that he confront the Roman Catholic system 
and he selected 95 statements or protests. That's why we're called Protestants, by the way. And he wrote them down and nailed them on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. The fourth of these 95 assertions was that a penitent heart, a heart that comes to God and receives salvation, is characterized by, in his terms, self-hate. In his own words, quote, Until the sinner comes to hate himself, he does not enter the kingdom of God. Unquote. Self-hate, you see, is the same as self Denial. It is saying, I deny that there is in me anything of value, anything of worth, anything good, anything that ought to be awarded, anything, anything that ought to be paraded as exemplary, anything that ought to be exalted. Self-denial is in fact the beginning place to becoming a Christian. We cannot come to God for salvation bringing anything of our own. We must come to Christ saying, I am nothing, I have nothing, I bring nothing, I've done nothing. Nothing. And then and only then can we experience saving grace. Self-denial is this overwhelming sense of drowning in our utter sinfulness. It's what Peter felt when in Luke 5 he'd been fishing all night without catching a thing and Jesus came along and told him to put down his nets for a catch. You remember the story? (laughs) What happened? The nets were so full of fish that they began to break. And Peter had to signal to his partners in another boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats so much that they began to sink. And Luke 5 and verse 8 tells us, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord! I am a sinful man. The same attitude was found in the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray in Luke 18 and verse 13. It says, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Self-denial. Oh, how I wish I could say more on this. I heard one preacher summarize it this way. Self-denial is not thinking of yourself as lowly. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Let me wrap up this point of application with Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. Would you read it out loud with me? The very credentials I once thought made me something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the selfish things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped myself in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. So the first key word for our application of the dying principle is self-denial. The second key word is the word self-death. Of course, this would be a key word in the application of the dying principle. Once again, Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross. And as we have already discussed, whatever else take up his cross may mean, it certainly means death, self-death. When a Roman official sentenced a man to death by crucifixion, he would give the order, Put the cross on the man! I'm sure Pilate said something of that nature to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says the same 
to us. Put the cross on the man. Put the cross on the woman. This is self's death sentence. It's similar to what many of our U.S. prisons announced when a prisoner is led to his or her execution. Dead man walking. Folks, that's what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We're nothing more than a dead person walking. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians 2 and verse 20, Myself has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Dead person walking. Now practically speaking, how do we know whether or not we've really died to self? One commentator that I read this past week helped me to really put this into proper perspective by asking a series of questions. For instance, do dead people insist on having their own way? Do dead people demand their own rights? Do dead people have their own agenda? Do dead people care about what other people think? Do dead people worry about their future? Do dead people hold grudges and refuse to forgive? Do dead people struggle with this or that habit or addiction? And the list goes on and on, but I think you get the idea. Just ask yourself, if I'm really dead, would I do, say, or think this? Let's read Romans 12 and verse 1 out loud together. Brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him. That's such a thought-provoking way of putting it. We are to be a living sacrifice. Willingly. Volunteering to crawl up on the altar to offer our self. For sacrifice. Now, of course, as somebody said, the problem with living sacrifices is that they just keep crawling off the altar. Hmm. So, the second key word for our application of the dying principle is self death. The third key word is the word self discipline. Self discipline. As we worked our way phrase by phrase through Luke 9.23 earlier, did you notice that I left out a word? I did so on purpose. Why? Because I wanted to call special attention to that word right now. Look one more time at Luke 9.23 with me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What a critical word. Daily. I think it speaks of self-discipline. This self-denial, self-death that we're talking about is something that must be addressed daily. Eugene Peterson says that the call to discipleship is best described as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. I like that. Denying self and dying to self is not only Jesus' call, but it is Jesus' daily call. Our daily duty, our daily task. Discipleship requires self-denial, self-death when things are going well and when things are not going so well. Self-discipline. It is required in the good times and in the bad times. Daily. One day. And then another day. And then another day. And then another day. A long obedience in the same direction. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, I die daily. Now for me, I found that I must begin each day by consciously praying this prayer. Jesus says, I begin this day, I choose to deny self. I choose to die to self. It is no longer I who live, but you who lives in and through me. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the third key word for our application of the dying principle is self-discipline. Three key words for our application of the dying principle today. Self-denial. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Self-death and take up his cross. And self-discipline daily and follow me. The call to discipleship. This morning we've looked at the fifth test of the authentic, genuine Christ follower. The dying principle from Luke 9, verses 23 through 25. DTR, define the relationship. What about you? What is your relationship with Jesus? Is it casual or is it committed? Are you a fan or are you really a follower? Are you just a believer or are you a disciple? As I was thinking about the dying principle, I'm reminded that there are Christ followers who are literally dying, being martyred for their faith each and every day as disciples are being put to death in North Korea, Somalia, Syria, Afghanistan, Sudan, Iran. There are more than 50 countries on the watch list according to Open Doors Ministries. Along that line, a young pastor in Zimbabwe, Africa, was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. When the members of his congregation found his body to bury it, they found this note in one of his pockets, and it has since been translated into English. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chain visions, worldly talking, cheap living, and warped goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in His presence, walk by patience, I'm uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I prayed up and paid up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till everyone knows, work till He stops me. And when I die, or He comes, He will have no trouble recognizing me because my banner will have been clear. 